The following message is by a guest speaker of Emmanuel Community Church. More information about the ministry of Emmanuel Community Church can be found online at www.emmanuelcommunity.org. So at this time, A.B. is going to come up and share the Word of God with us. And before he does, I just want to just share just a few more comments, and then I'll hand things over to him. Titus chapter 1 verse 9 says, he must, speaking of elders in the church, he must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. This becomes a very essential part of the job description of an elder is sometimes I think we can think of elders as just people who rule the church, who make decisions in board meetings. But when we look at the biblical mandate of what an elder ought to be, it is a person who has such respect and reverence and love for the word of God that much of the leadership that they exert in the church flows out of that ministry of the word of God into the congregation of God's people. And so we see that teaching through scripture becomes an essential part of an elder's role. Um, I want to say that I think that could easily translate to then is the Sunday pulpit of preaching Sunday sermons, and that undeniably can be one expression of it, but what I want to argue is this. When we look at the elders of ICC, what I would say is this. They cannot just be administrators. They cannot just be board members. The expectation is that every elder in our church has leadership displayed through their respect and love and ministry of the Word of God, and so that could be a Sunday sermon, like we're going to receive from A.B. in just a minute, but it could also be leading a small group Bible study. It could be just a one-on-one counsel of a church member in which the Word of God is being used as a tool to minister to that person. But I would argue every elder at ICC bears that responsibility of the Word ministry, of teaching and preaching and rebuking and admonishing and encouraging through Scripture. And so... um, what we can also say, one last thing, and then I'll invite A.B., is that in First Timothy 5.17, it says, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. And then it says, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. So it also seems that the New Testament distinguishes some elders, all of which have some responsibility to that word ministry, but others who bear a special responsibility of teaching. And so I guess the way I would actually describe my job description best at ICC is the primary teaching elder of ICC. Now, some of you say, I don't know, this summer doesn't really look like it. And I I acknowledge you have not heard me preach very much. But in two weeks, I'm back on the saddle, okay? And then we're going to ride that horse all the way into the summer again, all right? But... But just to let you know that that is something that I feel very strongly about is that every elder at ICC bears that responsibility and that authority to rightly teach the Word of God into our lives. If you remember, if you were here for Pastor Peter's installment as an elder of ICC, one of the things that he had done there during that time was to really share his testimony as well so that all of you, particularly those who may not know A.B. personally very well, can just get a sense of him as a man and who he is as a follower of Christ. And so, although A.B.'s primary task up here is to share from us the Word of God, I want you all to understand I've asked him to also share uh, very, very deeply about his personal testimony as well, so that we get to understand who he is as well. So with uh, no further delays, let me invite A.B. to come here and give to us not only his testimony, but God's Word to us. First of all, 
what an honor and a privilege to stand here at this pulpit from which I have been blessed for so many years. My hope is that what I share with you this morning would be a blessing to you likewise. I'm overwhelmed standing here. When asked if I would be willing to share a little bit about my story and followed by a sermon, I was excited and accepted, but now I wish I hadn't. (laughs) Al, do you want to come up here? (laughs) I need a lot of help from above and much grace from you. It's hard to follow Pastor Eugene in the preaching schedule. Um, His energy is boundless. (laughs) So try your best not to fall asleep. (laughs) And if you sleep, don't snore. (laughs) I haven't included any jokes, but feel free to laugh anyway. (laughs) Uh, If not, an occasional smile or a nod would suffice. Secondly, I want to thank you all for giving me this opportunity to serve you as an elder. And for blessing me through this installation service. I appreciate your continued prayer for those who have been praying for me for this sermon, especially for your emails, text messages. Thank you. Appreciate it. I got to know the elders a little better um, over the last few months as I was meeting with them individually. And I really appreciate the opportunity to talk to them and ask them questions. And I appreciate their candid answers, and I'm excited to be working with these brothers who truly are passionate and dedicated and truly love the Lord and love each person in this congregation, and not just the elders, but even the staff and the other pastors that I've gotten to know. What a privilege and an honor it is for you and for us to have them as people to serve you, and I am excited to join them. I'm thankful for my community group, um, for their partnership, for their support, for their journey with me over so many years. Um, Especially thank you for Alan Rose for coming here. I know this is your last Sunday, and I want to thank you and bless you for being a blessing to me for the last 20 years, Um, and for the others who are still in our group, so thank you. And finally, I want to thank my family. for their prayers and support throughout this process, and for their help with the sermon preparation. Uh, I could not have done it without them. And if this sounds like the Oscar thank yous, you know. (laughs) Uh, I am a movie buff, and... uh, But for their help, this would have probably been the screenplay of a suspense thriller or something, you know. Uh, But I ask you to pay attention, because I've interwoven three or four stories, and leading them all together uh, would need your full attention, so please bear with me. Um, As I was praying and reflecting on whether I'm fit to be an elder, um, and if it was God's will at this time, I was plagued by a few questions. One of those questions was, who am I? In other words, what is my identity? It was reminiscent of a similar journey that I had undertaken during my young adult days. I didn't come up with something like Walden, like Thoreau did, uh, but I still feel it was significant enough for me to share this with you. 
Um, so in today's message, I want to unpack the answer to this question I have been wrestling with, and pardon my throat, I've been having a cold for the last 10 days, but this is my natural voice too. <laughs> um, let us pray uh, before we dive in. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity to stand before your people and share the words that you have put in my heart. Please grant me wisdom and calm my nerves so that I may speak with clarity and purpose. As I share some facets of my journey, I pray that my dear church family will get a glimpse into what you have done in my life. And through this message, may you inspire each one of us to meditate on who you say you are and who we are. May my story also serve as a reminder of what you can do with a sinful person, with no talents and how you can use anyone for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Who am I? Who or what defines my identity? There are about 7.7 billion human beings on this earth, and each of us would have a different answer. We rarely reflect on this question, um, but when we do, when we are asked who we are, we sometimes tend to define it based on what we do. Uh, where we work, our hobbies, our interests. How do other people define us? Others define us perhaps based on um, our personality, our socioeconomic status, our belongings, our affiliations. Then um, you also say, oh, he's charming, or he talks a lot, or he's passive-aggressive, or he's weird, etc., etc. And I hope that by the end of the sermon, you will not say that about me, uh, <laughs> except for the charming part, maybe. You know? so, <laughs> uh, and I recognize that many of you outside my community group and my family members may not even know that about me. So let me start by sharing some details of my life with the help of some pictures. Ah. That's my family um, at my littlest one's graduation last year. Um, I've been married to my wife for 27 years. You know which one. <laughs> <laughs> she stayed home with the kids till they were um, in junior high-ish before going back to school and starting a new career. She now works as an oncology nurse um, at Advocate Sherman Hospital in Elgin. I have three wonderful children who are all here. Uh, Jonathan, my oldest, the one in the middle, uh, just graduated from Loyola and works as a caseworker in the city for an organization called Thresholds. And my younger two, Timothy and Grace, on the far left, um, they are in college at Northwestern. Each of the children is a year and a half apart from the other. So last year was unique. Uh, we had all three of them in college at the same time. Uh, and I'm so thankful that you guys are all in Chicago now, so thank you for that. Um, another time, I will share with you um, my journey on how I met Jamsi and the miraculous way in which we got married and the miraculous way in which we had our children, um, one after the other. Um, but that's, <laughs> that's for a later time, so... <laughs> Um, I'll show you the maps of three countries, and you'll have to identify them. That, of course, <laughs> is USA, and that is India, 
And that is? That is the little tiny country of Kuwait, which is probably the 155th in area or something like that. And the reason I say that is because I'm an an American citizen born of Indian parents in the country of Kuwait. So I don't know what that makes me. Um, uh, And that's the reason for this message. Um, It is my identity struggle. Um, I majored in computer engineering from the Indian Institute of Technology. That's the same place where the CEO of Google went to. The only difference between him and me is that he works for Google. I Google at work. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's not the original. That's we IITians. We um, joke about him like that, you know. I mean, yeah, we're all jealous about him, but oh well, you know. (laughs) Not everybody can be CEO of Google. I work for Walgreens, that's the store, but I work at the corporate office. I head up data and analytics uh, at the corporate office in Deerfield. I'm at Walgreens for about 11 years now. I love playing soccer, or I loved. Um, Growing up in Kuwait, it was a a soccer-crazy country. Um, And that's not me, that's... um, (laughs) That's Mo Salah from Liverpool, and I'll tell you a little bit about Liverpool in a bit. Um, I never had good hand-eye coordination, so baseball and things like that didn't come naturally to me. And when I moved to India, cricket, which is India's number one sport, um, was not something I was fascinated by. Instead, I I picked up an ancient sport in India called kabaddi. Um, And you can Google this. This is a combination of tag and rugby without a ball. Um, type in Asian Games Kabaddi and you will see, um, I, I think South Korea and uh, India and Iran and other countries play this game, but yeah, it's, 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 it's a fantastic game. <laughs> I love watching TV, especially movies and sport, and that's not me, I found that picture on the Google, he's got way lot more hair than I do. <laughs> oh, what did I do? Okay. This is a picture, a frame that my son made of me. Um, You probably haven't heard of this, but um, I am an avid follower of the British Premier League, if you know what that is. Uh, I know some of you do. Uh, Since my childhood, I've been a fan of the Liverpool Football Club. I learned to call it soccer after I came here to the US about 25 years ago. Um, Their motto is, you will never walk alone, and you should hear them sing that before every game. Dream is that one day I'll go to Anfield and watch them play. <laughs> um, ah, Costco. I love. <laughs> I love shopping at Costco. <laughs> My wife never allows me to go there alone because I come back with a carload full of things, and the free samples is an added incentive. You know. <laughs> Not that I'm especially gifted at it, but I love solving puzzles, um, all kinds of puzzles, word, number, logic, anything. And forgive me for those who are sitting here because I'm kind of looking that side and you know paying attention to this side, so don't feel left out, um, especially Dr. Steve sitting in the corner over there. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't fancy speedy cars, but I do fancy speeding in my own car. 
And my wife tells me that speeding is a sin. <laughs> and lest I cause any of you to stumble, I will not tell you at what speeds I drive. Um, thank goodness this didn't come up at the elder board interview, you know. <laughs> I would have been disqualified. Um, well, speeding comes in handy for our road trips. Um, another thing I love to do with the family. This is a picture taken um, at the Grand Tetons in Wyoming. Uh, notice the matching t-shirts. That was before my children became opinionated teenagers. <laughs> and developed an identity of their own. <laughs> so now hopefully you know a little bit more about me, but is that all there is to my identity? Um, as important as they are, um, that just can be explained by pictures and factoids. Isn't there an emotional or a spiritual dimension to our identity? What did other thinkers um, and writers say about this subject? And there's a lot. We can spend the whole hour talking about that. And I put in a lot more. My children had to remove a lot of them for me, so thank you for that. Um, there are so many thoughts there. One great mind was René Descartes, the French mathematician and philosopher, and you know the Cartesian coordinates and the Cartesian doubt and all that. He set out by questioning every truth in every knowledge area. He even questioned if he existed. That's like saying, taking out the who from who am I and saying, am I? Do I even exist? And he came up from, with these famous words in French, je pense do tant je suis, pardon my French. Um, I think it means, I think, therefore I am. In other words, I know I exist because of my capacity to think. Some thought that the act of determining one's identity invalidated the result. According to a Hindu philosopher and ascetic, uh, Sri Ramana Maharishi, uh, in a publication titled, Who Am I? He said, I'm the awareness that remains after you remove all the other senses, the body, the mind, the feelings, and even the world goes away, and all that is left is the awareness, and that was too deep for me. Um, psychologists sometimes use a term called self-concept. It was Carl Rogers in 1959, and I don't know if he was the first person or not, who thought that the identity or self-concept was made up of three components. One is self-image, which is how you view yourself. The other is self-esteem, which is how much value you place in yourself. And the third is ideal self, where you wish you would really like to be. Um, and on a similar note, when I told my children that I had been dwelling on this question for a while and going on this journey. One of them asked me a thought-provoking question. Is the journey truly about discovering yourself or about making yourself? And I think it's, 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 it's a little bit of both, right? So today we'll delve into the story of Moses uh, from his earlier days up until his return to Egypt covered in the first, in, in chapters 2, 3, and 4 of Exodus. So I won't have verses that, um, that a main passage that I will show, but uh, feel free to turn to your Bible to Exodus 2, 3, and 4. I will not read them. I chose the story of Moses because it clearly illustrates his identity crisis. 
the struggle of fitting in, one that I'm all too familiar with. Along the way, I will share some vignettes from my own identity crisis and my initial faith journey, and then together we'll see what the Bible says about our identity. And finally, I'll draw out some conclusions and some thoughts, so please stay with me and bear with me. Now, your individual struggles and your identity may be unique, but I hope that you will find this message and the lessons applicable in your life as well. In Exodus 2, we know the story. We read about Moses. He was born to Hebrew parents in Egypt. Kind of a parallel with me. He was raised in the royal palace, having been rescued and adopted by an Egyptian princess. This was during the time when Pharaoh had ordered that all baby boys among the Israelites were to be put to death, probably to control the population of the Israelites and to curb any potential rebellion. Now Moses was well educated and he had access to the halls of power, having grown up in the palace, but he threw that all away. Do you remember? He killed an Egyptian who was beating up on an Israelite. We are very familiar with this story, but that altercation is our first glimpse into his identity crisis. Secretly, he wanted to support the Israelite cause because he had compassion for his brethren, but they rejected him. He was too Egyptian for them. When news got out and Pharaoh wanted his head for treason, he ran away to the land of Midian, some 285 miles away, far away from Egyptian authority. He lived in the household of Jethro in the land of Midian, who was a priest, and he settled down to his family, married his daughter, Zipporah, um, had children, and became a shepherd. And now he adopted yet another identity. He was now a Midianite, Egyptian, Israelite, or whichever combination you want to call it. A side note, it is ironic that he fled to the land of Midian because some 300 years earlier, if you remember, it was Midianite traders who had sold his great-grand-uncle Joseph into slavery in Egypt. And we know the story of Joseph, how he grew up from a slave, went to a prison, and then became second in command. And then once he reached there, the rest of his family joined him. So it was a decision that his forefathers had made that made Moses be born in Egypt and take on this new identity as an Egyptian. Towards the end of that chapter, we are told in Exodus 2.22 that Moses has a son in the land of Midian, whom he names Gershom, which means a sojourner there. I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. And it's funny, we talked about ESL today, and we talked about strangers and foreigners. And depending on the version of the Bible you read, NIV, KJV, NASB, ESV, the word sojourner has been translated as foreigner or stranger. But it essentially means the same thing. Moses took his perception of his identity and transferred it to his son. In those days and in that culture, Children's names were often, not always, a reflection of their parents' feelings, experiences, or their aspirations. The fact that Moses names his firstborn son a foreigner suggests this cultural conflict 
within his identity was foremost. That was the harsh reality that Moses faced in his early days in Midian while trying to fit in among the Midianites, probably with his soft princely hands and his foreign accent that didn't help much either. Moses ended up from being a prince to a refugee to a shepherd. Like Moses, when we are young, our identity is defined by our parents. Parents always want the best for their children, and they do everything they can to get it done. My mother was a devout Christian. She wanted two things for her three children. Study the Bible and do well in school. That's it. Uh, Throughout my early childhood, I was shy because I was chubby, as you can see in that picture uh, on the far right. I laugh about it now, but I was bullied mercilessly in elementary school. My older sister tried to stand up to the bullies, and my parents even met with teachers to stop it, but they couldn't. Eventually, it did stop, not because of the interventions. Um, Thanks to the conducive environment my parents had created at home for us to study, Remember, studies was important to them. Uh, we excelled in school, and I rose to the top of my class. Soon the bullies started coming to me for help with classwork. <laughs> so they couldn't bully me anymore. They even invite, invited me to play soccer with them. And that's how I ended up losing weight enough to become a decent soccer player. <laughs> Another childhood memory of mine is when I was five years old. When one day my mother raised the bar and tried to make me memorize, and especially, oh, it's coming up over there, beautiful. Thank you. <laughs> especially difficult Bible passage. She wouldn't give up till I had memorized it. It was a fierce battle. I cried and wanted to quit. But she kept at it. She had decided that I should learn the Christmas passage from Luke 2, 10 to 11. And the angel said to them, Fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Imagine a five-year-old trying to learn that. I can't recommend this as a parenting tool. (laughs) But that was the start of my spiritual journey. Eventually, my mother translated her desire for me to study the Bible into her goal for me to become a pastor. However, when we are old enough to think for ourselves, we become rebellious. And we decide to reclaim our identity and define it for ourselves, independent of God or parents. When I was 16, I had completed my first reading through the entire Bible. I had memorized hundreds of verses and appeared in scripture quizzes and memory competitions. At first, I loved the recognition and the accolades I received and the joy that it brought my parents. But as I began to find inconsistencies in the Bible, I prided myself on my ability to poke holes in the Word of God and um, to put older people to shame with my questions and my knowledge and my gotchas. When I started asking questions that my mother could not answer, she took me to the local pastor. She could have never predicted that encouraging me to study the Bible was actually causing me to fall away from the faith that she had so desperately tried to inculcate in me. At 18, much to the disappointment of my mother, I decided I did not want to become a pastor. 
or going to ministry. I had to go to India because Kuwaiti law prevented me from staying there beyond high school. Even though I was born there, I was merely a sojourner there. That, the excuse I gave her was that I was not fluent in any of the Indian languages. To do ministry in India, you should know at least one Indian language. So instead of ministry, I went into engineering. Living in India for the first time without the security and supervision of my parents, I was exposed to the harsh realities of India. Here in the U.S., when you go from state to state, it's a seamless transition. But in India, each state has its own language, its own culture, its own food. Um, the food that you eat here uh, is not necessarily Indian. It is, but okay. <laughs> Each state is like its own country in and of itself, and the only things that unite the states in India are religion and cricket and corruption. Um, um, I'll gloss over this. I just wanted to show you that Hinduism is the major religion there, followed by Islam, and then you have um, Christianity, which forms less than 2.5% of the entire population. Um, there are four religions that are born in India, Hinduism, Buddhism, Sikhism, and Jainism. They all account for portions of that population. Um, I didn't fit in India. In Kuwait, I was an Indian. In India, I was not Indian enough. And so in addition to my spiritual anguish, my nationality and ethnicity were ambiguous. Other than English, I could manage to speak a few languages, but none fluently or without an accent. I opened my mouth and I was exposed as an outsider. If I looked like a foreigner or a tourist, I would have been cute trying to speak a local language, but I looked like an Indian and I was expected to be an Indian. Come on, I did not even hate the Pakistanis, which is a litmus test if you are an Indian, believe it or not. Um, I grew up in Kuwait where I had some close Indian Pakistani friends of, and friends of all nationalities. I didn't know that I was not supposed to like, dislike them. Um, I felt a yearning for some deeper meaning. Who am I? Before I continue my story or Moses' story, remember I told you that I will have multiple threads going. Let us search the scriptures for what it says about our identity. Our first identity is as created beings. We are created by God. In Genesis 1.27 it says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him, male and female he created them. So our first identity comes in the fact that we are created by God. We are created beings. What are the implications of being created? And one of the books that really touched me in this journey was um, a book by Jerry Bridges called who am I, with the subtitle, Identity in Christ. He says that these are the characteristics or the implications of being born, um, being created by God. One is we are given dominion over all earth. The second is we are utterly dependent on God. The third is we are physically fragile. Then we are spiritually vulnerable and we have moral accountability. We like to enjoy the privileges of being created in the image of God and having dominion over the rest of the creation. But our disdain for dependence on our creator means that we could not keep up with the moral accountability that God expected from us. The very first crisis of identity occurred in the Garden of Eden when Satan tried to distort the image of God and tried to give us identity and significance apart from God. That truly was an identity crisis. 
in that moment we dispensed of God the creator and we were lost. But our creator did not dispense of us. The reality is no one from this universe is capable of saving us. Enter God the Savior. He left eternity universe and entered our universe that is bound by space and time. Of all the places and times that he could have chosen, Jesus chose to enter Israel 2,000 years ago where the occupying Romans had invented the most cruel form of punishment known to mankind. And I keep wondering, why, didn't, why did Jesus do that? For the creator to take on the role of the savior, he had to take on our punishment for our sins, and he died. And just like everybody who was crucified, he died. But he's the only one known to have risen, and with that resurrection, we have victory. We have been raised And through this Savior, we have been restored, reformed, and regenerated. First, we looked at our identity as created beings. Second, if you have accepted Christ in your life, your identity is in Christ. What does in Christ mean? Paul uses this very frequently in the Bible. If you look at the New Testament, there's about 100 occurrences of the the phrase, in Christ. And if you add up all the other occurrences, like related ones like in him or in the Lord, which means in Christ, there's more than 160 occurrences of that. In Christ is simply Paul's shorthand for being united to Christ. So every time you come across that, in Christ, in him, think of being united to Christ. And sister, this is for you. Um, living union in Christ, that is what it means when we say we are united to Christ, best explained by Jesus himself in John fifteen five. I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And it's a beautiful picture of the, the vine with the branches and the fruit that it's bearing. And I keep dreaming that one day I will bear that fruit. God wants that for each one of us. Further to explain what the identity in Christ means, um, Jerry Bridges says, as Christians, our identity is found in our relationship with Christ, not in our subjective and sometimes negative life experiences. And Neil Anderson, in another book called Victory Over Darkness, another book that I read during the last few months, says, your understanding of who Christ is who God is and your relationship to him is the critical foundation of your belief system and your behavior patterns. God wanted to start a transformation process in me that was on his terms. During a break home from college, a friend asked if I would like to go to a prayer meeting with him. There was going to be a speaker there whom I had not heard before. I had been searching and I decided to go. During that message, light finally dawned on me. When the speaker asked if anyone wanted to put their faith in Christ, I stood up with tears rolling down my face. A huge burden had been lifted. And I instantaneously knew that Christ was my Savior and Lord. That burden of trying to understand who I am, and trying to figure that out and trying to fit in, didn't matter anymore.
Shortly after my return to college, I met a young professor who had recently converted to Christianity from Hinduism. He became sort of a mentor to me, and I would continue to meet with him and a small group of believers till I graduated. Finally, my relationship with God had been restored. Let me ask you this today. If you haven't trusted in Christ, this would be the perfect time for you to put your trust in him. The broken relationship with the creator of the universe will be restored by the Savior, and your life will be transformed. In spite of my initial identity struggle, I was aware of my identity as a created being. After I accepted Christ, I knew my identity in Christ. However, for a while, even as a Christian, I did not recognize the full meaning of this identity. In reality, if we put our trust in Christ, there are additional glorious truths and traits of our identity. Most of these truths can be found in the New Testament, but the letter to Ephesians is particularly rich, one of the richest sources of our understanding of these truths regarding our identity in Christ. It is with trepidation that I speak from Ephesians. <laughs> because this book is part of ICC lore. It's epic. Not because it has six chapters or 155 verses. Because somebody sitting here decided to preach 51 sermons. <laughs> You do the math, it's about three verses per sermon. <laughs> In fact, he spoke one sermon on one verse. And I remember this clearly because he started it on my birthday nine years ago. <laughs> and took more than a year and a half to complete it. So, I'm not going to touch Ephesians, but I have to. So pardon me. So I'm not going to read all this. I've just highlighted in red the things that are additional glorious truths about us, truths about our identity in Christ. And follow along with me. We are blessed. We are chosen. We are predestined for adoption. We are redeemed. We are forgiven. We have been made known the mystery of the will. We have an inheritance. And we have been sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. And if we move to Ephesians chapter 2, more promises more glorious truths. We have been made alive. We have been seated with him. We have been saved through faith. We are his workmanship. We have been brought near. We, he, he is our peace. We have access to the Father. We, have, we are fellow citizens and saints and such wonderful truths. These are wonderful truths and privileges, wouldn't you agree? But as I reflected on these pr privileges, I realized that, <clears throat> to tell the truth, sometimes I felt the opposite. Oop, too fast. I felt more like a failure. Sometimes I felt like a terrible sinner or someone of no value. I did not always feel like the child of the living God. Maybe you're here this morning and you feel that way too. But here's what God says in the Bible. We are precious in God's sight. Of course, we cannot overlook 
our sins in front of a holy God or the mistakes that we have made or the choices that we have made, but we may not see it in ourselves or others may not recognize it. But God sees our value. I realized it is one thing to know these truths and another to live them out day in and day out. But why is there a gap? Why do I feel rejected sometimes? During my journey of discovering who I am, I had to dig deeper to identify why I was not living out my identity to to the fullest. I felt the spark of curiosity being reignited, and like Alice in Wonderland, going down a rabbit hole full of twists and turns. This part of the journey may be different for each one of us. Again, I was inspired by the story of God pursuing Moses. When God meets Moses at the burning bush, remember, um, he's now well settled in Midian, he's got children, and he's named his son a foreigner. Hopefully by now he feels comfortable enough to be settled in as a shepherd. God meets him. And we see a protracted struggle between God and Moses. A series of back and forths in chapters 3 and 4. And I wondered why the writer of Exodus took just one chapter, Exodus 2, to talk about the birth of Moses all the way through the birth of Gershom. So the entire narrative of his, of his initial life is in one chapter. And then he spends close to two chapters, almost one and a half chapters, talking about that struggle between God and Moses. His distorted identity and his insecurities. Five times Moses thwarted God's plan and his purpose. And each time God responds by giving him more promises and tools. But Moses himself was not convinced. Obedience can be hard when God's plan and timing do not align with ours. Based on each objection Moses raised at the burning bush battle, is what I call it, the BBB, the burning bush battle with God, I determined that there are four areas that I had to examine in my own life to understand the barriers to living out my identity. And I like these acronyms and little tools to help me remember because I keep forgetting my old age is coming up. The four E's. Um, the first one is expectations. So that's an area that I had to um, examine myself. Is our view of ourselves tainted because of others' expectations, like your parents maybe or your spouses? Or do we compare ourselves with others? If I think I'll preach like one of the ICC pastors or have a body like Ricky Tan or Johan or somebody. Or, <laughs> sorry, I didn't ask you, brothers, if I could share your name. Or, or e- even play music like some of you wonderful musicians. Um, it would be very easy for me to develop an identity crisis. I've been depressed more. This church is full of talented and gifted people. But we have to be the best we can and not be the best that others expect us to be. When God told Moses he was chosen to lead the Israelites out of slavery, what does Moses say? Who am I? Um, And in Hebrew, who am I? That's me, Anoki. That's the title of my sermon. Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And that was his expectation the expectation that others had on him, his own expectation, his own identity. That was a rhetorical question, really, right? I mean, he was not asking God to answer that question. On the surface, this was an expression of doubt in his personal ability, but when you look deeper, uh, there is 
a deeper echo of an identity crisis that Moses that led Moses to hang up his boots and resist God's plan. The next E is for enemy. We have three enemies. Any guesses? The world, the devil, and our sinful flesh. The world is seeking to conform us to its standards and values. The devil disguises himself as an angel and sows doubt in us. Our sinful flesh acts like a Trojan horse within us and collaborates with the other two. And I don't know which one of it it was with Moses, but one of Moses' self-doubt was, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And the enemy is so powerful, it makes us forget about God's name. Moses living in the Midian land had forgotten who God was. However, God dismisses these enemies by proclaiming his name. Do you remember? He says, I am who I am. And then Moses brings up experiences of the past. His third question was, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say the Lord did not appear me. Like Moses, is our identity colored by our past experiences? Did we get belittled or taunted? Are we haunted by traumatic experiences? Have we lost the joy of serving because we don't feel appreciated? We had three weeks of Pastor Chris preaching about the joy of serving and joy being a component of our, um, of our lives. And I actually see we have had much teaching about brokenness. And I thought I had dealt with my brokenness past experiences, but some experiences keep coming to the foreground. Remember, our experiences are our own. We can never erase them, but in Christ, those experiences do not have power over us. Unless we allow them to. The old me has died, so stop resuscitating it. And the last E is for existing challenges. God continues to give Moses signs and wonders and assurances and running out of excuses, Moses pulls out his trump card. Oh my Lord, I'm not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I'm slow, slow of speech and tongue. And God says, I made the tongue and I will teach you what you have to tell the people. Do we hang on to our challenges? We all have our own individual challenges, our situations with our health, with our jobs, our losses. But does that make us take our focus off of God and devalue our identity in Him? Some are temporary, some are permanent, but we still need to examine these challenges. So what happens after these challenges and these objections? Moses realizes that he's all out of excuses. He doesn't give in. He gives up. His fifth response is, Oh my Lord, please send someone else. (laughs) At this point, one might think that God would do just that, that he would heal Moses, but instead he gives him another chance. He asks him to take Aaron with him. I wondered, why did God pursue Moses relentlessly? 
It's because God knew Moses' heart and wanted to begin a process of healing and rehabilitation. Moses' slowness of speech and his compassion was not needed during that brief shock and awe showdown with Pharaoh and the Egyptian powers, but it was needed during that treacherous and dreadful 40-year trek in which the worst of the Israelites came out and God wanted to punish them. And it was Moses' compassion that he pled with God to forgive them. But his self-confidence that allowed him to stand up to evil and root out evil when needed within the camp or outside the camp. And so I know I'm running out of time, and so I want to conclude. My journey is not over. Um, I will be on this journey forever, but I pray that I will not become insensitive like I did before. I want to leave you with these five thoughts um, as you examine your lives and understand what are the challenges that you face, the four E's. Um, Each of us face different challenges. Invite God back into places of brokenness, Um, whether it was a bad experience or false expectation. Invite God back into those areas and surrender to him. Recognize that I'm not perfect. The last chapter of Jerry Bridges' book, aptly titled, which gave me a lot of encouragement, is I'm not yet perfect. Um, 1 John 3 2 says beloved we are God's children now and what we will be has not yet appeared but we know that when he appears we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is know that I'm already accepted so even though I'm not yet perfect but I know that I'm already accepted Neil Anderson in his book, Victory Over Darkness, and this is a beautiful um, quote that I wanted to say before I stop. Uh, We don't serve God to gain his acceptance. We are accepted, so we serve God. We don't follow him to be loved. We are loved, so we follow him. It is not what we do that determines who we are. It is who we are that determines what we do. And Lastly, no, fourthly, reminisce on God's hand. And I can see um, on hindsight where God's hand was sometimes heavy, but he orchestrated several events and decisions in my life, and he bent the trajectory of my life um, and made me serve his purposes. Um, I tried to share a few vignettes of my early life with all of you with the hope of encouraging you to do the same. May we as a church uh, become a church that shares our spiritual stories with each other um, and pray for each other. I was truly blessed when our sister Michelle shared, and I truly feel blessed by that, and I think that is a blessing to all of us when we share our stories, and I have a lot more stories to share, but not today. Um, And I want to leave you with my last um, thing that is the power of community. If we live out our God-given identity, we would not feel the need to find our worth in external circumstances. It would give us an opportunity to experience God's unconditional love. Remember when God told Moses that he doesn't have to do it on his own? Moses had to live out his identity fully. But then he got Aaron, who was eloquent and who had credibility with the people. And when we come together as a community, regardless of our ethnicity or our experiences and we each live out our identity to our fullest we can do wonders as a community and when we as Emmanuel Community Church live out our God-given identity we can boldly and confidently 
share his love with others. Let us pray. Dear Lord, help us to examine ourselves and determine the areas of brokenness, fear, shame, and lack of faith that keep us from living our our life to the fullest in accordance with our identity in you. Help us be sensitive to your voice as you continue to mold us and channel our lives in directions that would fulfill your purpose and goals for each one of us. Grant us wisdom and discernment that you would use all of us to accomplish your purpose at ICC. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks to our brother, A.B., for uh, a funny and a really encouraging uh, message. Why don't we stand? We are running a little bit late. We're going to sing one song uh, before the benediction. The song comes from Psalm 23, which is one of my very favorite psalms, which talks about God being faithful to us, God walking with us through our darkest times. And then after the benediction, we're going to sing Amazing Grace. And so if you don't have anywhere to go in a hurry... Uh, we would really encourage you to uh, stick around and, 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 and uh, sing that song with us as well. So let's sing uh, Psalm 23 um, all together. Shepherd, I shall not want in green pastures. In green pastures, he makes me lie down. He restores my soul. He restores my soul and leads me on for his name, for his great name. Surely goodness, surely mercy, right beside me all my days, and I will dwell in your 